Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. Those really smart people out of Sandia Labs have come up with a bullet that doesn't miss. Sandia scientists and engineers have wide expertise in miniature technology, nanotechnology. And the bullet is actually a tiny guided missile. News 13's Scott Daniels has more from the Newsplex. Dick, this patented design would give superpowers to average shooters. It could change the way American soldiers are trained on the front lines. This laboratory is about building very, very tiny machines. James Jones and his team of engineers at Sandia Labs has turned average size ideas and made them enormous by shrinking them down. The actual one is this dot right there in the middle. Their newest project, to take a self-guided missile and put it into a 50 caliber rifle. It shoots like a dart. Instead of shooting straight with a spiral motion, it twists and turns to find a laser-pointed target at the end making up to 30 corrections per second while in the air. From the sensor, it commands little fins in the back so that the, the bullet pitches and yaws and turns itself and guides itself towards the laser dot. In theory, put these into soldiers' machine guns, and they'll hit their mark faster with precise accuracy so soldiers can spend less time in a firefight. DARPA's Extreme Accuracy Tasked Ordnance Program, or Exacto, took part in a live fire demonstration of in flight guided 50 caliber bullets. The bullets independently maneuver through the air after being fired, and they successfully hit targets that were over a mile away. The rounds changed their path in flight, striking targets that were not lined up with the sniper rifle's original aim. The 50 caliber rounds utilize optical sighting technology and a real time guidance system, allowing them to be used anytime during the day and night. DARPA explains the importance of the bullets, noting, it is critical that snipers be able to engage targets faster and with better accuracy, since any shot that doesn't hit a target also risks the safety of troops by indicating their presence and potentially exposing their location. The ammunition will also be extremely helpful when windy weather or moving targets make accurate shots far more difficult. The smart rounds certainly have the potential to revolutionize rifle precision. As well as fulfill even the last bit of the runaway movie premise, is there no place to hide, folks? in the coming future? Drones are gonna be everywhere, above, below, on the ground, in the water, whether you recognize them as drones or not. And the weaponry they're giving them has the capabilities you just saw to chase you down, even around corners, just like a guided missile, until it takes you out every single time. We are in trouble. But as bad as that is, that's only the first concern with all these drones and the weapons they're arming them with. As the title says, it's not just the attack of drones, but Skynet is coming. In other words, an artificial intelligence will hijack this whole thing, take it all over on a global basis, and hunt people down just like in the Terminator movies. And so that's the question. Are we getting close to developing a true artificial intelligence that can actually hijack this new killer global drone technology on the whole planet and create a real live Skynet scenario? Yes. In fact, even the secular experts are saying it's going to happen very soon. I didn't say that, they did. Much sooner than we could ever dream. Or frankly, I think that we even want to deal with or admit. So now let's turn to the next section. The dangerous deployment of drones, starting with the developments of AI, artificial intelligence. And, and let's look at that very question. How did all this get started? Is AI, artificial intelligence, real? Who, who's pushing for it? How long have they been working on it? And who's behind it and paying for it? Let's now take a look at the history of artificial intelligence.
artificial intelligence, or AI, speaks of the artificial intelligence, or intelligent behavior, exhibited by computers, computerized machines, and or software. John McCarthy is first accredited with the coining of the phrase back in 1955. The goals of AI research include reasoning, knowledge, planning, learning, natural language processing, and communication, perception, and general intelligence modeled after human intelligence. In short, they want to simulate or recreate the human brain. Believe it or not, this desire for artificial intelligence has been around for quite some time. It's an idea that dates back as far as classical philosophers who attempted to describe the process of human thinking as the mechanical manipulation of symbols. In fact, mechanical men and artificial beings appear in the Greek myths, such as the golden robots of Hephaestus, among others. In fact, realistic humanoid automatons were built by craftsmen from just about every civilization with some of the oldest known being the sacred statues of ancient Egypt and Greece. The culture of that day actually believed that the craftsmen had imbued those figures with very real minds, capable of wisdom and emotion. In fact, one of the early writers, Hermes Tresmegistus, wrote that by discovering the true nature of the gods, man has been able to reproduce it. Then in the Middle Ages, there were rumors of secret, mystical, or alchemy means of placing minds into matter. Later in the 17th century, scientists and thinkers began to explore the possibility that all rational thought could be made as systematic as algebra or geometry. One proponent even stated, reason is nothing but reckoning. Then in the 19th century, ideas of artificial men and thinking machines were further developed by authors in their books such as Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or Carl Capek's Rossmann's Universal Robots. Finally, in the 20th century, the study of mathematical logic provided the essential breakthrough that made artificial intelligence plausible. Mathematicians began to believe that mathematical reasoning could be formalized and combined with advances in computing devices and the invention of programmable digital computers back in the 1940s the birth of artificial intelligence began to make great strides throughout the 1940s and 50s this is where the discussion of creating artificial intelligence took a serious tone with many scientists from a variety of fields mathematics psychology engineering economics and political science they were now discussing the possibility of building an electronic brain. In fact, the official field of AI research was founded at a conference on the campus of Dartmouth College in New Hampshire in 1956. Those who attended became the leaders of AI research for decades. Many of them predicted that a machine as intelligent as a human being would exist in no more than a generation, and they were given millions of dollars to make this vision come true. It was also during the 1950s that we saw the birth of what was called the Turing Test, developed by Alan Turing to test the possibility of machines being able to truly think and carry out a conversation that was indistinguishable from a conversation with a human being. If it could pass this test, according to Turing, then it was reasonable to say that the machine was thinking. Soon this thinking ability was put to test in games. Using the Ferente Mark I machine, the University of Manchester wrote a program for checkers, and a man named Dietrich Prince wrote one for chess. They eventually achieved a great enough skill to take on a respectable player. Therefore, optimism began to grow for creating artificial intelligence with even more government agencies like ARPA pouring money into the new field. ARPA 
just happens to be the same entity who developed the precursor to today's internet known back then as ARPANET. Their name has been since changed to DARPA, which stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, who is now responsible for the development of emerging technologies for use by the U.S. military. Then in June 1963, MIT received millions of dollars of funding for the newly created ARPA to further develop artificial intelligence and to continue to receive such sums up into the 1970s. Combined with three other centers developing AI, Carnegie Mellon University, Stanford, and Edinburgh, all four institutions continue to be the main centers of AI research and funding for many years. Then in 1980, the Japanese government inspired other governments and those in the industry to provide AI with billions of dollars of funding. Soon a system called XCON was completed at CMU for the Digital Equipment Corporation. It was an enormous success that saved the company $40 million annually, with other corporations scrambling to acquire their own similar systems. The 1980s also saw the birth of CYC, which was the first attempt to crack the so-called common sense knowledge problem and create a massive database that would contain all mundane facts that the average person knows. The creators of the project stated there were no shortcuts and that the only way for machines to know the meaning of human concepts is to teach them, one concept at a time, by hand. During this time, the Japanese government also funded what was called Fifth Generation Computer Project, which sought to build machines that could carry on conversations, translate languages, interpret pictures, and reason like a human being. Soon other companies with new programs of their own, including DARPA with its strategic computing initiative, tripling its AI investments in just five years. Then in the late 1980s, several researchers advocated a completely new approach to artificial intelligence based on robotics. They believed to show real intelligence, a machine needs to have a body. It needs to perceive, move, survive, and deal with the world like a real human. This added fuel to the ideas of cybernetics and control theory systems for human-like intelligent robots. Throughout the 1990s on up to today, artificial intelligence has continued to grow and has actually achieved many of its oldest goals. Due to advances in increased computing power, AI is now being successfully used throughout the technology industry. In fact, in 1997, the world's first computer chess playing system called Deep Blue, which was now 10 million times faster than the Ferenti Mark I back in 1951, actually beat a reigning world chess champion, Garry Kasparov. Then, in 2005, a Stanford robot won the DARPA Grand Challenge by driving autonomously for 131 miles along an unrehearsed desert trail. Two years later, a team from CMU won the DARPA Urban Challenge by autonomously navigating 55 miles in an urban environment while adhering to traffic hazards and all traffic laws. Then in 2011, a Jeopardy quiz show exhibition match, IBM's question-answering machine called Watson defeated two of the greatest Jeopardy champions, Brad Reuter and Ken Jennings, by a significant margin. This dramatic increase of artificial intelligence is measured by what is called Moore's Law, which predicts the speed and memory capacity of computers doubles every two years. Today, the fundamental problem of raw computer power for artificial intelligence is being overcome, which is why experts are now saying true AI is just around the corner for the first time in the history of mankind. 
In fact, Ray Kurzweil, a computer scientist, innovator, futurist, and director of engineering at Google, predicted using Moore's Law that machines with human-level intelligence will appear by 2029. Other experts are saying that if AI is produced, it might actually be able to reprogram and improve itself, which means the improved software would be even better at improving itself, leading to ongoing self-improvement and thus new intelligence that could increase exponentially and dramatically surpass humans. This viable reality is now called singularity. Describing a singular event when the accelerating progress in technologies will cause a runaway effect wherein artificial intelligence will exceed human intellectual capacity and control, thus radically changing or even ending civilization. And once again, Ray Kurzweil predicts this event will occur by 2045. Humans have had a genuine interest in artificial intelligence even before the term was coined in the 1950s. The modern concept is part of a tradition that extends through myth and legend all the way back to the ancient Greeks. It's been a source of hopes and fears, dreams and nightmares. It's a robot! Will our creations be our allies or our mortal or immortal enemies? Until recently, it didn't really matter. The ability to create intelligent machines was impossibly out of reach. But Ray Kurzweil believes it's not only probable, but inevitable, and coming sooner than you think. The inventor and author has become the most outspoken prophet of the coming technological singularity. By the time we get to the 2040s, say 2045, we'll be able to multiply human intelligence a billion fold. That will be a profound change that's singular in nature, so we use this term. A label first used in 1993 by computer scientist and science fiction writer Werner Vinge. Vinge predicted that within 30 years we would create a superhuman intelligence, and shortly after, the human era would be over. Now, this may not be obvious, but I happen to be human myself, so this concerns me. In his book, The Singularity is Near, Kurzweil is a little more conservative than Vinge. He gives us till mid-century, at which point exponential growth in genetics, nanotech, and robotics will drive an intelligence explosion. Once we have a brain smarter and faster than ours, it will design the next generation, which in turn will create the next faster and faster, leaving us meat bags behind. The pace of change will be so rapid, the transformation of human life so profound, that it will be literally impossible to predict what happens next. But that hasn't stopped people from trying. Judging by our mythology, including our modern novels and movies, Shall we play a game? We seem to think our creations will turn against us. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. I'm not sure what that says about us. We'd have to cut his higher brain functions. Is it the psychology of abuse? A guilty conscience? We're always inventing father figures to punish us for overreaching. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Patience, patience. It's the Frankenstein story, one of our favorites. It's alive! 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 It's
I don't actually fear a robot uprising, but I do keep a hostage in my shed. A Roomba. Just a bargaining chip, in case something goes down. Roomba is the house cleaning robot made by iRobot. That's not an Apple product. It's the name of a company in Massachusetts that also makes military robots. Hackbot, the US Army's first battlefield robot, checks the trail ahead. Are you kidding me? Who writes this stuff? Are we living in a sci-fi B-movie? They make tactical military robots, and they already have an army of autonomous vacuum cleaners patrolling five million living rooms. What could possibly go wrong? iRobot is also the name of an Isaac Asimov book. What are you on jackets? We got jackets. You want trousers? We got trousers. But maybe they won't be so ill-tempered towards us. My own giant robot. Maybe instead of a rebellion or a stern father, we'll get an overprotective mother. You have consumed enough alcohol for one evening. Or a companion who likes us. Are those two girls machines? As more than just a friend. Now how can you say a thing like that? The least we could do is make sure everything we build has an off switch. Realistically, it probably won't be that easy. After all, we're talking about superhuman intelligence. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. Folks, as you can see, this development of artificial intelligence is not only real, but it's really been worked on for quite some time now. And these people, as you saw, are very serious about this. And at least some of them will admit it. It's a dangerous thing to play with. What are you doing? And it's leading to also a very serious problem that they also admit. What if these things really do take over? It's not just being built, but what if the unthinkable happens? What if singularity does occur? What if machines really do take over, Hal? Okay, this is no longer, as you saw, a crazy science fiction scenario from some Isaac Asimov uh, book. It's a reality today and a genuine concern today, even those working on this technology admit it. 
And the irony is, if you think about it, this is exactly what is needed for a Skynet scenario to appear on the scene and take over with all the drones that we saw are being launched right now all over the world in every facet of society. This development of AI artificial intelligence allows for this Skynet scenario to come. But you might be thinking, well, wait a second, that, that's just drones in the sky that we've been seeing. I mean, if you look at the Terminator movies, technically, uh, there were machines on the ground, even humanoid-looking machines that Skynet took over and unfortunately started to hunt down and annihilate mankind. <laughs> we, we don't have people making robotic machines and humanoid Terminators like in the movie, do we? Folks, I'm telling you, you haven't seen anything yet. Yes, we do is the answer. And they're also merging it with, that's right, artificial intelligence, just like in the movie. Believe it or not, right now as we speak, folks, as you watch this documentary, militaries and scientists around the world are building robotic machines, listen, humanoid-looking robotic machines that are armed and deadly and intelligent, exactly like in the Terminator movies. And if something doesn't change real fast, we are really headed for an artificial intelligence Skynet scenario to come on the scene, take over, and hunt us down. In other words, believe it or not, folks, Judgment Day is around the corner. And the first way that we know that this horrible reality is coming is with robotic machines. You see, just like the drones in the sky, robotic machines on the ground are also gonna be armed to the teeth, or in many cases, they already are. In essence, the whole way, quote, of doing war, they say, is rapidly changing. It's gonna be the robots on the ground who are going to be, quote, doing the dirty work for us. This is what's being built right now. For instance, who needs a jet fighter pilot anymore? No siree, now an unmanned robotic pilot equipped with artificial intelligence can do it for you. In fact, here's one produced in the UK. It's called Tyrannus. Watch this. advanced Earth system conceived, designed and built in the UK. Tyrannus is one of the most advanced projects that BE Systems has ever undertaken. It keeps the UK top table aerospace capability. And trouble for the rest of us. And by the way, it's also nicknamed Raptor. And it's the new wave and fighter drones called UCAVs, or Unmanned Combat Area Vehicles. In other words, an unmanned jet fighter. In fact, some of the drone fighters or planes can even go into space for a very long time. 
just waiting to strike on someone or something. One such space drone just returned to Earth after a two-year orbit. And one person stated this, quote, what was a computer-controlled aircraft doing in space? Not to mention for that long. In fact, China is also getting in on this action with their mysterious combat drone called Dark Sword. That is reportedly the world's first supersonic unmanned area vehicle. In other words, have fun catching that one. But that's still not all. Uh, that's just the jet fighters that are going robotic. So are the helicopters, another aerial vehicle. I'm telling you, who needs a pilot for anything nowadays in the sky? Drones can do it all. Let's take a look at that. Office of Naval Research, ONR, is developing new capability for unmanned flight, known as the Autonomous Aerial Cargo Utility System, ACUS. ACUS technology makes it possible for unmanned helicopters to fly and bring supplies to Marines in the field with just the touch of a user's tablet, keeping pilots and air crews out of danger. What's truly revolutionary about this is the ease of use. Anyone can order supplies from their tablet, without needing months of specialized training. I think what you've seen today is with the advantages and the test results we've been able to witness all of us, that we might have indeed something for the future that can be very, very relevant to our missions. Well, we're out in front here. This is, uh, this is cutting edge stuff. This is uh, the selection of a landing site. Um, no one's telling the helicopter where to land. It's, it's, uh, it's being told a general region, but it's able to pick the site itself. It's able to identify the obstacles itself and then execute the landing. No one's done that before. It's a self-flying robot with laser beams. Now. It doesn't get much cooler than that. <laughs> Our initiative is to try to find methods through which we could have an entirely autonomous system do what a manned helicopter would do. That's one way, fortunate for the Marine Corps, the technology will be very helpful. Anything that doesn't put um, humans in harm's way will be good. One single helicopter loaded up with the supplies they need, fly out unmanned, land, get the gear, and then for it to fly off on its own. ACUS has its origins on the battlefield, where troops needed to get convoys off roads and deliver supplies by air, while reducing the workload and danger for helicopter crews. And what we're developing here is a system that responds to a request in the field for supplies, develops its own route, flies there by itself without any oversight, comes in, selects its own landing site, and lands, again, without any oversight whatsoever. So this is a truly autonomous design. ONR's gold was for a Marine in the field, not a professional aviator or flight controller, to be able to request resupply using a tablet or mobile device without extensive specialized training. They made it real easy to understand, so even if you got no training, you'd still be able to figure it out. It only took me approximately 10 minutes to pick up on how to use it, and maybe another two or three minutes to start actively using it on my own without any assistance. ACUS technology can also help manned flights be safer and more accurate. For instance, ACUS can assist the pilot while landing in challenging conditions like dust or snow, 
Recently, companies like Amazon have talked about delivering a book to a customer with an unmanned aircraft. We're trying to do the same thing, but I want to bring 5,000 pounds to a marine in the field of bullets or batteries or water uh, in the, that same fashion. It could even indeed maybe bring this to a, a rescue mission somewhere, maybe to a dangerous landing zone, all with the touch of a single tablet. And who can't do that? We're all used to tablets and cell phones. Can you believe that? Just like Amazon, you can order up some supplies uh, and weaponry and, and back up on the battlefield, just like you're placing an order online. The new flying drone helicopter brings it straight to you. Go figure. But they also have another use for these helicopters. They now have many ones that can also be used for surveillance purposes. Watch this. In the past few years, the usage of drones has dramatically increased. Miniature surveillance helicopters are being used by British military intelligence forces in Afghanistan. The remotely controlled devices send camera footage and pictures to the troops on the ground. The 1x4-inch drone, known as the Black Hornet Nano Unmanned Air Vehicle, can be piloted manually or it can be programmed using GPS coordinates. It weighs less than an ounce, reaching speeds of up to 22 miles per hour. The Black Hornet can travel for up to half an hour and has a range of around a half mile. Sergeant Christopher Petherbridge from the Brigade Reconnaissance Force stationed in Afghanistan said, we used it to look for insurgent firing points and check out exposed areas of the ground before crossing, which is a real asset. It is very easy to operate and offers amazing capability to the guys on the ground. The military contract for the drones specifies that 160 of them will be supplied and maintained by Marlboro Communications. The drones were initially designed by the company Prox Dynamics in Norway for search and rescue procedures. Well, now you can search for all kinds of things and rescue whatever, like a mosquito. Can you believe that? That's not just small, but if you had a bunch of those things flying around, I mean, you couldn't escape them. Maybe worse than a pack of mosquitoes or gnats or whatever. And apparently that's why one reporter said this, quote, if you thought that having helicopter drones flying around delivering packages was a scary concept, uh, then you won't be very happy to learn that the U.S. military is seriously considering enlisting the help of tiny robot copter drones in warfare. The U.S. Navy is now testing a cannon system that launches 30 small robot drones into the air in less than a minute. The drones are able to fly in formation for 90 minutes in order to compete and complete missions that are designed to overwhelm the adversary. In other words, have fun running from these guys. It's just like a pack of mosquitoes. It really is true, folks. But that's just in the sky. This robotic invasion that can be controlled with AI will also be underwater. In fact, it's already here with robotic military ships like this one coming to an ocean near you. Check this one out. We know the U.S. military has had drones in the air for a while. Now it's looking to ramp up drone technology at sea. The Pentagon Research Group, DARPA, is developing a drone ship that would save money and manpower on expensive searches for super-quiet enemy submarines. A prototype vessel is already in production. They're calling the program the Anti-Submarine Warfare Continuous Trail Unmanned Vessel. DARPA says the drone ships will measure 132 feet long and likely cost about $20 million each to build. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the price of billion-dollar manned warships. If testing proves successful, the Navy could start developing the idea further by 2018. 
The vast ocean is a great place to hide. So DARPA is also developing stealthy deep sea robot capsules. They could sit on the ocean floor for years until U.S. controllers trigger them to float to the surface and release unmanned flying vehicles. From above, these drones could transmit images showing nearby enemy activity. All this emerging technology offers a pretty good indication that the ocean is about to become a lot more robotic. In the future, motherships, such as the newly retrofitted USS Ponce, could be sent to conflict zones where they would launch and support fleets of unmanned vehicles with multiple capabilities. An entire battle group could be managed by a handful of personnel. Hey, wait a second. That's starting to sound like that uh, mothership in the Avengers movie. Remember that? Does Hollywood once again know something we don't know? You see, you think I'm kidding, but I quote, the Pentagon wants an airborne aircraft carrier to launch drones. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, released an artist's rendering to show its vision for a future aircraft carrier in the sky, capable of launching and recovering numerous drone aircraft while in flight. In the 2012 movie, The Avengers, Captain America, the Hulk, Iron Man, and the rest of the gang flew on a massive aircraft carrier that carried dozens of planes through the air and disappeared from plane view with the help of a cloaking device. Well, folks, the idea that the U.S. military could develop something similar is still seen as far-fetched, but this much is true. Quote, a Pentagon agency has just launched a new effort to develop an airship that is sure to draw comparisons. DARPA program manager Dan Pat said, quote, we want to find ways to make smaller aircraft more effective, and one promising idea is enabling existing large aircraft with minimal modification to become aircraft carriers in the sky. In other words, I'm not making it up. He just said it. This is really what's coming. Hollywood got it right again.
If you don't think they have the ability to cloak, you better think again. But that's still not all. Not only are they making robotic big ships, just like in the Avenger movies, but now they're making them even smaller. They can actually swarm their prey, leaving no chance of escape, if you needed to. Watch this. The Office of Naval Research. Innovations for the future force. U.S. Navy autonomous swarm boats. The future is now. With autonomous swarm boats, unmanned Navy vessels can overwhelm an adversary. A first-of-its-kind technology enables swarming capability, which gives our naval warfighters a decisive edge. The U.S. Navy is unleashing a new era in advanced ship protection, a swarm of autonomous boats that will automate ship self-defense and be able to deter, damage, or destroy an enemy threat giving added protection to sailors and marines in harm's way. When we look at autonomous swarm, we're not talking about a single vessel. We're talking about multiple, multiple vessels that can be in a defensive posture, and then when called upon, then can become offensive, surround an adversary, let them know that you are coming no closer to our ship. But of course, if an adversary or threat decides to come closer, we can give them another warning, or potentially we can say, you've come too close, we're now going to destroy your vessel. Autonomous swarming is made possible through outfitting a boat with a sensor and accompanying software kit called Caracas. This advanced software was developed by NASA for the Mars rover and adapted through ONR support for autonomous swarming. What we have on board these boats is software and equipment that allows the boats to operate autonomously, which means they can sense the environment, the environment being other ships, perhaps the enemy, that's the objective, and then they can react to the environment. ONR's current demo on the James River was made possible through discoveries in artificial intelligence, machine perception, and distributed data fusion. Now, any boat can be fitted with a kit that allows it to operate autonomously and together swarm on any threat. This new technology can be used to help prevent attacks like the damage caused to the USS Cole by one small boat. USS Cole was attacked in October of 2000. 17 of our sailors were killed in that attack. It's a constant reminder every time we walk the passageways of the importance of being vigilant. Autonomous swarm boats can be a force multiplier. Something like this technology is very useful where you want to have assets out there that can patrol around you almost like guard dogs and they can give the CO of that ship the intent of another boat that's coming in. And what's new in this exercise is that we're extending Caracas to five small boats so they engage in this multi-boat swarming behavior. From an operational perspective, the, the swarm is starting where there is a swarm of unmanned autonomous vehicles that are protecting a high-value unit. The ship, the designated good guy, is the relentless, serving double duty as the floating lab monitoring the demo as the swarm scenario unfolded. As they get further into a congested environment, a red or a adversary approaches and the swarm will go and surround the adversary and defend the ship and then come back and continue to protect the ship. Sam Calabrese of Seaward Services Incorporated piloted the designated bad guy. I know if I was, a, if I was the actual target, it'd be pretty intimidating to see five boats rushing at you. 
Autonomous swarm boats and swarming capability give naval commanders options to deter, damage, or destroy hostile vessels. I think the idea of controlling small boats that are not only unmanned, but they're able to have machine perception, they're able to perceive things without a human being in the loop, and then they're able to make decisions, which in this context means planning their route or planning their action, that can be a game changer because that opens up a whole new set of missions that can be done without a human on board that asset. The swarm technique is applicable to multiple vessels in multiple scenarios. Autonomy kits can be packaged for deployment. Modules for artificial intelligence and data fusion can be put into packages and deployed from surface assets anywhere. And the demo of this revolutionary capability has been pulled together by a team of the best in the field. The team included experts in the field of science and technology from ONR, warfare centers, industry, academia, university-affiliated research centers, with support from the U.S. Coast Guard and Operational Navy. When we're going to protect our country and look at the security of our country, and when we're going to operate these new innovative kind of systems. It's truly a team effort. Autonomous swarming extends the defensive and offensive reach of the U.S. Navy. I think it's really the persistence. We can have these machines out there 24-7 patrolling against adversary intrusions into an area where they're not supposed to be. The boats that became autonomous are already in the Navy inventory. On board the Navy's surface combatants, destroyers, and cruisers. You don't have to go out and purchase a new vessel. You take any of these vessels out here that the Navy already has, we unman them, we put the, the system on it, you put the eyes and ears, depending on what kind of mission you want to do, on the vessel, and then let it go do its mission. And that mission is to take you out, if you become a bad guy. And again, that's the problem. Who gets to define who's a bad guy? But have fun getting away from these guys. Did, did, did you catch that part there? They're not just autonomous. But they're part of an AI system that can be attached to any pre-existing vehicle. It's crazy, folks. What other vehicles are they going to put this on? I mean, think about it. And folks, believe it or not, they are putting them on other vehicles as well, on underwater vehicles down below. Robotic swarms are going to be everywhere in the ocean. So this is our prototype of the underwater swarm uh, system, which is named Kokoro. It's a very small robot that is um, used as part of the underwater swarm. It's mainly equipped with blue light sensors and blue light uh, emitters, LEDs, which it uses to communicate to other robots on a very short distance and to also estimate distance to obstacles to avoid them. And uh, this robot is one of the first prototypes of really small interacting and autonomous underwater robots. And uh, we use them, for example, in this uh, aquarium to simulate a search mission where uh, on the sea ground there's a point of interest. In our case, it is a few magnets. And the, uh, the swarm as a whole should look for these magnets and then aggregate there. For example, you can uh, think of these magnets as in the real world of, uh, as a black box of a crashed plane. And we use a swarm of robots to quickly go through the area that should be searched for the black box. Uh, then one of those single robots will quickly find uh, the, the black box on the ground and attract other robots with 
short-range signals like blue lights or in the real world then hydroacoustics. And when all robots are quickly aggregated, then they can collectively, for example, lift the a black box out of the water. And this would be one of the possible missions that a swarm like our system could solve. Other technologies are being pursued as well to make them even more efficient. One such example is the development of a cooperative or swarm behavior. When it is finally completely functional, UAVs could be semi-autonomous in their actions while working in a group. This means a single operator could operate multiple vehicles while just giving them general directions. Whether it's land, air, sea, water, above or below, you can direct these swarms of drones wherever you want. And by the way, DARPA has big plans for these kinds of drones. Listen to this quote. DARPA is developing robot pods, as we saw earlier in the video, that can sit at the bottom of the ocean for long stretches of time, waiting to release airborne and water-based drones to the surface to attack upon command. In addition, they're also asking for a boost to their budget for underwater drone fleets. The agency has asked for its current spending to double from the 14.9 million to 29.9 million for the, listen to this, Hydra program. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's the same bad guy name they were fighting against in the Avenger and Captain America movies. Quote, Hydra was conceived to be a large mothership-like craft capable of moving through the water and deploying a number of smaller surveillance drones, exactly like the movie premise. It's almost like somebody's following a script or something. In fact, it goes on to say that, quote, the research agency also announced that it is launching a program to unite existing and future drones into hives, where individual autonomous aircraft will share data and operate together against targets on a battlefield. Let me translate that for you. We are in a heap of trouble, folks. These superhero premises, all these movies, are about to become our way of life. We're being prepared for it by Hollywood. But just in case these underwater mini-swarms or destroyers don't find you, don't worry. An unmanned submarine will. Everything is going autonomous in the water, above or below. Check this one out. We've talked about stealth technology before. The use of composites, sharp angles and radar-absorbing paint to make military aircraft and surface ships almost invisible to the enemy. And we've talked about UAVs, unmanned air vehicles, like this helicopter. They can fly entire missions by themselves. And now we're talking about this, a UUV, the world's first fully autonomous, unmanned, multi-mission stealth submersible. They've named it Talisman after the good luck charm. But if they ever send this baby against you, chances are your luck will run out. Talisman is a working prototype designed by BAE Systems in Portsmouth to showcase the British company's advanced technologies. Her propulsion and operating systems are being thoroughly tested before undergoing a second round of sea trials. Unmanned vehicles are going to be absolutely key to future military doctrine. That's no prediction. According to Talisman project manager Andy Tong, it's already happening because increasingly it's becoming important to keep the man out of the danger area. It's important to drive the cost down. Now, if you take the Talisman vehicle, Talisman could actually replace a specialist mine hunting ship. So the cost becomes very much lower. 
and mine hunting is one of the mini-sub's primary roles. Able to carry several of these archerfish-guided torpedoes in its munitions bay, Talisman can move silently towards a minefield and fire them without risking human life or the loss of a billion-dollar ship. It's not that big, just under five metres long, but it's enormously strong. This carbon fibre hull is designed to operate at depths well in excess of 300 metres and it's very nimble. Using these vectoring thrusters, it can hover or turn 360 degrees in its own length. Using high-tech collision avoidance and super-accurate navigation systems, unmanned aircraft can fly across the world and back in complete safety. Now, as BAE designed many of those systems, it was only natural they'd find a use for them in Talisman. Talisman is just as smart as many of its flying brothers. It can spend weeks at sea, following orders downloaded into its mission computers or following new orders sent via satellite communications. And if it detects a threat, it can shut itself down and loiter on the seabed. There are fail-safes built within the vehicle, built within its software, and built into hardware systems that are overriding the software to put you into a safe mode, shut down, go quiet, go deep, stay out of the way. As for underwater obstacles, Talisman uses a sophisticated collision avoidance system. It's able to see the problem, think it through, and decide on a solution. The sensors we carry are mainly acoustic, and they work on high-frequency sound, and they're detecting returns from the obstacle. The smaller the obstacle, the higher the frequency and the shorter the range. While Talisman's primary role is surveillance and reconnaissance, its payload flexibility allows it to go from passive to active very quickly. So if the need arises, it can have a very nasty sting in its tail. Although BAE Systems is reluctant to discuss its full potential, they don't deny Talisman could carry a range of weapons in its internal munitions bay. But as future generations are developed, BAE Systems believes UUVs will dominate underwater warfare, adding sabotage, close-quarter combat and counter-terrorism to its mission capabilities. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we, need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. 
don't ever bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy of getting to heaven? Just march on in there yourself, all by yourself? You don't need God's help? Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer. And the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. And again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.